Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes burlesque producer and performer extraordinaire Fancy Feast, hailing from Brooklyn, New York. Creator of the Coney Island show Mame That Tune and co-producer of the Fuck You Review, Fancy Feast discusses her origins in burlesque and how her craft has evolved over the years. She also chats about some unconventional performances, how performing is sometimes just for the performer, and also what it's like to cultivate an audience. And so, from her day job at Babeland to her life as a sex educator, Here's presenting Matt Storm and Fancy Feast. And welcome to Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest this week is the incredible Fancy Feast. Hi. Thank you for joining me, Fancy Feast. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, you're such a famous internet celebrity Uh. now. Like, I'm I'm just excited you had time for me. Oh, that's really too much. Um, so I've been wanting to have you on for a while. I've been a fan of your work. Um, I must sheepishly admit I have not been to the Fuck You Review yet, mm. but I have to change that, and I promise I will. Bushwick on a Tuesday is a tough sell. It is a tough sell, you know. But, you know, I, I've been wanting to see it. You're, of course, uh, producing it with uh, Zoe Ziegfeld, mm. who I adore, um, who I know two ways. A, from the burlesque community, but two of my wife's friends went to school with her. That's so awesome. And we ran into them at a burlesque show. It might have been one that she was doing at our bar when that uh, was still a thing. Oh, and, rest in peace. and we ran into our friend Zach. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, I like burlesque and my friend's a performer. Mm. It was it was really funny. That's so cool. Um, but let's start with the Fuck You Review. So how did that show come to be? Because I know you've been performing for a long time. Both of you have. And yeah. then this show started, what, a year? A, a year, year ago? ago. Yeah, so I... The Fuck You Review started because the era of Bushwick burlesque ended. So um, Darlinda, who is one of my burlesque mentors, um, stepped down like the show was no more. And there was this slot that was left. And they were um, bizarre. The bar that Mm -hmm. um, is the location of the Fuck You Review really wanted to have a burlesque show that kept some of the like gritty, raw, like ethos of Bushwick burlesque, but specifically wanted to offer it to um, women, like Mm. wanted to have just like women producers, women hosts. And I have a really good relationship with them from all of my work with Darlinda. So they Mm -hmm. were just like, hey, we have this space. Do you want to do a show? And that was exciting because that sort of put me in the position of being able to state like what I wanted and needed Mm -hmm. um, since I wasn't coming to them requesting a show. Yeah. so it felt really powerful to have a seat at that table. Nice. Um, so uh, I had the idea for the name Fuck You Review, but I didn't know what it meant. I was just like, it sounds like something that would get people to come out on a on a Tuesday. In yeah, Bushwick. sure. Um, and But I was like kind of dreading uh, producing because producing is exhausting. Yeah, sure. And uh, then Zoe contacted me and was like, hey, I love you. I like the work that we do together do you want to do this thing with me? Do you want me to help at all? Mm -hmm. Um, And so then we were like, I was like, yes, please, a 50-50 collaboration would be (laughs) great. So now we share responsibilities and we also um, get to curate together, which is... That's awesome. It's 
it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, she's the best. Yeah, I remember seeing the promo photos of that came out. I think it's of you like eating Chinese food naked and like her like just giving stink eye to the camera. It's like it's just there's so much raw attitude in the way the images are presented for the the show. It mm. makes me excited to want to get to see it because it seems like one of those kind of gritty shows, and there aren't as many of those anymore. I feel like a lot of them are much more polished. Yes, um, I think. Part of what was really important to us is that we kept with the sort of like punk rock feel of yeah. like the early days of burlesque. And that's, I'm so happy that we didn't have to actually like say that. That's just yeah. feedback that we've gotten from a lot of people. That's awesome. Um, and to keep things feeling like edgy and keep things feeling sort of like, holy shit, when am I ever going to see something like this? Um, but having that happen in a place where people feel safe to present controversial work, like in a space that does have like a certain like safety net and respect right. for its performers that it's not a free for all it's like a really important space where really unusual daring work can happen yeah and i think that's really important especially at this point in the industry because i just feel like yeah i know um you know it, it, it's it's funny i've gotten myself into trouble on this podcast just with having performers on and people talking speaking their mind and right. i try to walk the line of djing for everybody and it's not easy but you know it's one of those things that i feel like people really need to be able to feel safe and express themselves at the end of the day like that's that's got to happen, you know? You can't not have a safe space because th that's what burlesque is all about, is feeling confident, safe, and all of that. Well, I'm going to counter that, actually. Oh, yeah? All right. Let, let, the, let the internet comments begin. Um, because I think any situation where I am in a public-facing space mm -hmm. um, where there is alcohol present especially, sometimes when there's not, and where I'm taking off my clothes and other people are taking off their clothes mm -hmm. is inherently not safe. Okay. Like, there are ways in which... Audiences can be curated. There are ways in which expectations can be offered where, like, boundaries can be stated, mm -hmm. like, all of that stuff. But I don't really believe that burlesque is a safe space intrinsically. Okay. I think it's something... That's fair. It strives to, it strives to meet its ideals, mm -hmm. and we always fall somewhere short of that. I think that... I mean, that's absolutely fair. And I think it's, it's, it's delusional to think any space is really always safe, you right. know? That's the unfortunate truth of just the world we're living in right now, the scary scary world we're living in i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah exactly um but uh but let's talk more about your burlesque i mean one of the one of the most memorable acts i remember seeing you doing was the podcast show that i dj'd and i got to, for the first time to see your um 50 shades of oive yes. act um which which as as a jewish person and as a podcast fan and as someone who can't stand 50 shades of gray and uh -huh. the ridiculousness of all of that kind of stuff <laughs> like i just think it's such a brilliant concept how did you come up with that did the, the did the audio that you use exist already did you pull that from something or is that something you made for the act yeah i wrote that you wrote the whole thing yeah that's amazing thank that's you. really awesome thank you i so i've i've been working at a sex toy store since 2010 mm -hmm. so i have a a lot of feelings about Fifty Shades of Grey and sure. I, was, I was there when the books came out and talked to those waves of customers who came in with very little knowledge and information but a lot of excitement and, th and enthusiasm sure. and like it was my job as a sex educator to like meet them where they're at and to be affirming of their choices and their desires. Meanwhile, it's like one of the worst fucking books that's <laughs> ever been written. It's, yeah. a, it's a nightmare book and it's like super unsafe. Like, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, where, yeah. where do we even begin? So um, every year I do the Menorah Hora. Um, right, yes. Uh, like the Schlepp sisters invite me to perform. I don't I don't produce that one. Um, 
but it's like coming up with new acts about Hanukkah every year is like a little bit taxing. Uh-huh. Um, but I had this these these feelings that I wanted to purge, and so I was like, this will be a perfect place to just kind of like shove my angst. <laughs> um, and so then I, I wrote some fan fiction of the fan fiction, and um, Scott Rayo and I recorded it together. Scott Rayo is an amazing voice artist, and that's mm-hmm. what he does. He does voice acting for a living. So I felt very fortunate that he he hooked me up with his Christian Grey. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, it's an act that's very much about listening, and I think a lot of my acts are, yeah. which I think is is difficult because um, I feel like I ask a lot of audiences uh, when I perform for several different reasons. Um, so I was so happy to see that that one lands with well, audiences. Yeah, well, I think for me, well, first of all, at the show we did it at the wonderful and amazing Anya Keister mm. curated a night of podcast-related burlesque, which is just right. ridiculous sure. uh, to begin with because it's an audio medium. But the fact that people showed up and really, really gave it their all and it was some awesome stuff. But the fact that, you know, you you w- walk on a stage, you open the laptop, I start the music, and then it's just this audio. And then we, and we're, j- and it's just people were so focused. And it was just, it was a really cool moment to see. And the, the playing to that NPR kind of goof of like what, what housewives are at home listening to and the stereotypes of like, you know, women sitting at home listening to stories that get them off and it was just it was a really cool dynamic to see all of it and then of course to just poke fun at Judaism and stuff which I have a good sense of humor about is always fun you have to (laughs) you absolutely have to um so how long now have you been doing burlesque I've been performing burlesque for six six years wow six years that's awesome that's very cool (laughs) (laughs) um and and so uh, obviously I imagine you didn't go to school for burlesque no, and I didn't even go to the New York School of Burlesque, which no. like would have been a good idea, probably. Well, I learned on my feet. I learned by watching the best in the business. Mm-hmm. I learned by fucking up a bunch and sure. trying not to fuck up as much the next time. Um, I imagine you have a theater background. Uh, sort of. Sort of. Yeah, I um, I did a lot of improv in college, and I think that has proved to be like one of the most valuable roots in my education and sure. in my professional life. That it's like. Learning how to build rapport with audiences and with other people in general, um, finding agreement with people, and like figuring out how to work around the exact place where you are, like being present in the moment Mm -hmm. and and reacting accordingly and authentically has been super important. So that was something that like really led me to like the kind of work that I do in burlesque and, and making me feel more comfortable on stage performing. Um, but then also just like my desire to be slutty and <laughs> naked. <laughs> sure, of course. Which has like always been a part of my personality, which like is bad when you're like nine. <laughs> and it was for me for sure. Um, but it's like obviously uh, it's it's a place where, where a lot of those impulses can go in a way I think that's hopefully not irritating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't find it irritating if that helps. Um, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask some music-related stuff because my other podcast is a music podcast and mm. I'm a music nerd. But when you're building these acts, besides the ones that you're creating a brand new set of audio for, but when you're using existing music, do you do you have an idea of a song before you build an act to it or does it go the other way around or does it vary based on each act? It does vary based on each act, but there's something that I used to do when I was a little kid, like... In car rides, I was big on the um, like I was I was embarrassed to share my music taste with my parents, <laughs> um, and so I had a disc man and I would listen to it in the back of the car and like 
I remember Sheryl Crow's first album, I had um, in my mind exactly what the music video is that I would direct to each and every one of the tracks. Um, like there was a really strong visual component, like colors were coming out for me. It was a mm-hmm. sort of like synesthesia yeah. experience almost. Um, and that still happens. It just happens on the train. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I, I have, like I listen to certain songs and based on the musicality of it, I'm like, that is where the glove would come off. Okay, this this character would probably be, feel this way, or I would have like an image, and then I would kind of reverse engineer to get to this like endpoint or something. So it does it it is generated a lot from audio. I think that's one of the ways that I understand the world the most mm-hmm. is like is through is through auditory stimulus. Um, but sometimes it's like, oh, I like need to be whatever. I need to be X character. Let me find a song, song that yeah. conveys it right. Yeah, I th- uh, for me, music has always kind of done the same thing. And I think what's funny about that is I feel like it, it, there are people who can either see music that way and kind of picture these things or that's just background noise mm. these days. Like, there are a lot of people, I think, who just use music to filter out the rest of the world around them. Yes. And uh, and I think it's very cool that you're able to do that. You're, you're able to picture and, like, create these music videos in your mind based on that music. Um, has there ever been a song... Was there a song that you really, really wanted to do an act to that um, that you have not yet been able to master getting an act to that song. I have a whole playlist on iTunes. Yeah, yeah, it's just called Burlesque. I created it before I started performing. Um, a couple of the songs are songs that I've done acts to, Yeah. Um, but most of them are not. They're, they're stuff that you want to, you just don't quite know how yet. Totally, yeah. yeah it's like the rummage bin. That's, that's really great. Yeah, I find... Also, if you're around Burlesque long enough, even if you're not a performer, you start to come up with ideas for stuff like I have two acts in my head already and I don't know that I would ever do them do it yeah that's what everyone keeps saying <laughs> well it's funny I've actually talked to um, uh, Scott Hazelton a lot yeah. the, the wonderful Scott Hazelton I, I want to take a a boy less class just to feel better about my own body okay yeah. and to feel more comfortable and more confident because I've done some hosting burlesque hosting as well and it's like I I know I'll have more confidence if I know kind of how to move maybe and just how to feel good in that space yes plus I think it'd just be fun to make a fool of myself like I'm not worried about embarrassing myself yeah. and also I know a lot of the boy less performers who teach classes and I think they'd get a kick out of it too you know to just be able to work with me on that kind of stuff so it's 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 if not 2017, a 2018 goal to at least take one class. Okay, well, now that's, like, recorded, so. Yeah, I know. It's for posterity. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny, too, because the, I've told several performers about these act ideas, and they've come after me like, you have to do these things. You can't. They don't exist, and you have to do them. Yeah. So, so but, but it's fun to live in that world. You know, I've loved being a part of the burlesque community, but it's also been very educational. Like, there's, I'm always constantly learning mm. about certain performers, certain expectations, you know, it was one of those things, like, as a white dude, mm-hmm. um, I didn't experience much harassment growing up. But mm-hmm. when I got involved in the burlesque community, I learned a lot about harassment and, and street harassment and all of that. Yeah. And I try to be an advocate, and I try to support in the best way that I can. Um, you know, but it, 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 I think it was... And I learned a lot about sexuality, too, and, uh, and identity and gender identity and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. And I feel like... I've experienced other people who kind of put up a wall with that stuff and they just want to be who they are, but I kind of just want to take it all in. I just want to always keep learning, you know? I also, it didn't occur to me, but I've had people point out the body types that tend to show up at shows too. And some shows 
tend to be pretty specific where others aren't and more varied. And I never noticed it in the beginning. And now it's something I'm super aware of. Totally. And I think that that awareness is like a really great step because that's not something that you can like forget. That's yeah. something that once you learn it, it, it kind of lives in your cells and you see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that because you, you talk a lot about that too. You've been in a video recently where you're talking about body image and yeah. your confidence. And is that... Is that something that you've always felt comfortable talking about? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I, my, um, my like, fuck it breaking point, like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't hate myself anymore. Yeah. Um, took place very early. It, it, like, I was maybe, like, 14, 15. Um, and I was just like, I don't have the fucking time or energy <laughs> that, that I've been putting in. Like, I've been putting, putting in long hours to, like... Yeah being a piece of shit to myself. Um, and there are other things I need to do with that time. So uh, it's something that I talk about a lot and that people want to talk to me about a lot. And I'm, there's a there's a way in which, like, if you belong to any sort of, like, underrepresented group, you become kind of like a spokesperson for that group, mm-hmm. sure. which is a sort of dubious honor um, yeah. and is, is not necessarily, like, I don't want to build myself that way. Because sure, of course. That's also not really my mindset when I go on stage. Um, right. Like that's one aspect of my performance, but like I think if that's what if that's the entire takeaway from my performance, right. then I'm I'm kind of like, did I fail? Like, yeah. was I interesting? <laughs> um, but it it is like the idea of representation, and then like not just saying like, oh, it has to be representation now for larger bodies, even though I think that's really important. Sure, but that it's like. Okay, and then where am I still privileged? Like, where yeah, am I still seeing? Absolutely. You know, where are my blind spots? Yeah. So, like, it's the. I think a lot of people get into burlesque that way. That they're yeah. like, oh, well, this is a feminist art form, and I do it. My work is done. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like, how am I continuing to, um, like enact forms of oppression on people, and I'm not aware of it. Yeah. So that's something that is like a constant self-check-in process and other people check you from time to time and that's really important too. (laughs) I agree, yeah. I think for me, like, we were talking about being Jewish before, like, being a straight-presenting white Jewish male, Mm -hmm. like, the Judaism part, like, they're, you know, they're an underrepresented people. They are people who have been oppressed. But presenting, I don't necessarily look particularly Jewish. And so... I can kind of slide by that a little bit. And so I'm very aware of the privilege that I have. And I try and use my privilege to support those who don't have it or to help or to be an activist or or have a voice. It's just not, I'm not always sure how, you know, that's why I do a lot of listening. It's important to like go into those spaces where people are trying to be activists and are trying to express themselves and, and get a message across and listen. Yes. It's not necessarily regurgitating, you know? No. Or like standing on the, taller soapbox and right. be like you guys <laughs> you guys i got it <laughs> i figured this out yeah um and i think that's also that's been happening a lot recently with with what's been happening in politics that i think people are starting to gain more understanding mm-hmm. so that like uh, i felt like a lot of especially white folks were like running around after the election being like you guys our country is racist and everyone else is like Hi, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the party. Like, yeah. we've been living in this. Did you see the SNL sketch with... There's an SNL sketch with Dave, Dave Chappelle, Chappelle and Chris Rock where, like, the white people in the room are freaking out about racism and they're just like, no, really? Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, I... It, it's funny because I'm someone who has always been, you know, more aware, I'd say, than most. I am always try to keep an open mind. But, like, seeing people online just kind of freak out about this stuff and I'm like, 
yeah, guys, we've had a problem for a while. And like, and good, and good, yeah. that, good that you're angry, good that you're that you're feeling activated by yeah. it, and like, and now what can we do? Yeah, right. And who can you listen to? Like, yeah. who's, who's been in the struggle longer? Who has thoughts? <laughs> do you find things like that in life inform your your art and your burlesque at all? Like, have you built acts around? you know, serious movements or things that, that you feel strongly about? Yeah, totally. Um, I have an act that I made that was like, uh, hey, it, it starts with a video projection mm-hmm. that's like, you know, congratulations, like we did it. We solved all of the problems, like racism is over, congratulations, like sexism is over, we did it. Um, and then I come out to do my like tribute to world peace and mm-hmm. I do like a really mediocre act um, in like all white and it's very serious and it's a mashup of John Lennon's Imagine and Smash Mouth All-Star, if you can picture it. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, at the end there's like a ceremonial release of doves, except like I like lift my cloth off of the cage and there's no movement and so I like shake it out and it's just all these dead doves on the stage. <laughs> um and that's not an act that I perform very often because it's like not a crowd pleaser. Right, I imagine. <laughs> it's like a crowd rebuker. Which yeah. I guess is like maybe the opposite. Um so that's definitely one. And then I for um I performed at the Brooklyn Museum with Brown Girls Burlesque oh, where awesome. I was invited as a guest artist, which was amazing. That's really cool. And and I was hired specifically because they wanted acts about identity. Like, that was the mm-hmm. theme of the night. And I was like, okay, I can let my Jewish self speak or I could talk about, you know, sexism and harassment if mm-hmm. I wanted to. But I was like, that feels like a cop-out because that's me speaking from my identities that are marginalized. Yeah. So I was like, what if I made an act about whiteness? Like, what would that look like? Right. Um, and so I did an act about whiteness. And I've only done it the once because it felt like the only right space to do it in. Um but that was that was work where I had to do a lot of like interrogation. Yeah. To I'm make sure. sure that I was not not uh, repeating any kind of like hurt. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. I think that I think burlesque as an art has always been fascinating to me because again, I haven't performed it, I guess, yet. But um it's one of those things where I'm always curious about the process, but I'm always curious about the inspiration because I feel like, like any other art, you can kind of pull an inspiration from anything. Like, yeah. I, uh, you know, I mean, Nerdlesque is huge, and you know, there are tons of performers who pull from movies and TV, mm-hmm. and and you said yourself, you pull from music. Is there any form of other media or art that you've tried to pull from unsuccessfully, or that you don't feel like you know how to adapt to burlesque? Unsuccessfully. Hmm. Or something that's been the hardest to adapt or for you to pull from inspiration wise. Mm. Oh, that's a thinker. I, I don't know. I think there are things that get lost in translation sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've, I've had to give myself the permission to be like A to C associative. Right. Um, cause I consider one of my burlesque idols to be Daffy Duck and that's not, I mean, (laughs) that makes perfect sense to me. Great. I'm so glad to hear that. But that's not something that like, I don't do an act as Daffy Duck or whatever, but that it's, that it's based on, um, like I have an act that's based on the cartoon Duck Amuck. Oh, sure. Which, which yeah. is the one where Daffy keeps walking in front of like backgrounds that keep yeah. changing because the artist is fucking with him and he has to keep adapting. And I have an act where the audio does that um, and I have to adapt to it. Um, That's really cool. And like people don't pick up on any sort of like looney tunes kind of thing but that's but but that's your inspiration for it it is yeah yeah um i think like 
I don't know. I, I think any medium can find itself folded in. Yeah. Um, it just has to be done thoughtfully. Sure. So, so I don't know. Well, it's funny that you bring up Looney Tunes because I uh, like. I'm a bi person who mar- who married a woman who I love very much, but I'm a bi person. I'm attracted to men, and I, I I trace it back to like Looney Tunes and stuff like that, where I started thinking differently about gender and all that stuff. I mean, my favorite reference is the Kill the Wabbit ep- episode of Looney Tunes with yeah. with Bugs dressed as a woman. He's and, so beautiful, and and you're just like, I don't know how to feel about this, you know? And yeah. it's like. But it's one of those things also that I think that's where like a lot of my burlesque brain comes from stuff like that because those old cartoons did stuff that I never even realized had kind of seeped into my subconscious. Totally. And they were referencing like the vaudeville stars of like the earlier generation yeah. too. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I like my one of my first moments of identification was with the fat white horse from that same <laughs> cartoon. I was like, that's me. Oh my god, I'm, I'm a that horse. horse. With yeah. those like beautiful butt rolls yeah. when it sits down. I was like, ugh. Great. <laughs> yeah, c- cartoons have always played an interesting role in my life. Like a friend of mine recently did a Lola Bunny act from Space Jam. Love and Lola. It, and it's like Lola. I, Lola taught me that I did quite love women, but in a weird way with an animated bunny <laughs> that I was very attracted to. And it's like this is weird, but I'm okay with it. Well, I think it's really funny that people are like, "Oh, furries, that's weird, that's gross." And meanwhile, like, what were we watching yeah. in youth? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's, yeah. I am not a furry. I don't identify as such. Me but I think there's like a lot of like sexualizing of cartoon animals yeah. that goes along, and and we're just like, yeah, great. Of course that's normal. Put that on my lunchbox. Yeah, a furry, gross. Yeah, you know? I know. Well, yeah, I always try and be open minded about their, that stuff. But there are definitely cultures and identities that I don't understand. But I always want to try and know more. Like, yeah, I, I never I never encounter something that I don't understand and go ew. Like it's like the same people who go. Uh, Nickelback sucks because they suck. Well, that's not actually why Nickelback sucks. They suck because their guitar riffs are trite, their their audio production's terrible. Like saying something sucks is not an explanation. It right. doesn't it doesn't convey why you dislike something. If you dislike something, and by all means dislike whatever you want, but explain it. Have a debate about it, a conversation. The people who like jump online and shut people down just because they're like, you suck and that sucks, it's like what are we doing here? Yeah, what's the discourse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I imagine as a burlesque performer, um, a lot of your personality lives online, you know, and you, that's how you promote yourself. I've always felt that trying to promote yourself, especially in modern social media, is difficult mm. um, because of the audience, because of how they try and change what's displayed and what you get to see. Do you find that social media has helped your burlesque career or hurt it or both? Do you find that it's it's worth the investment that you put into social media? Ugh. Yeah, um. I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I love Facebook. Um, no, I think like the two have the two have existed simultaneously, so it's hard yeah. for me to imagine right like what would one look without the other and you know it's helped gain visibility for my brand and like has helped people connect with me and feel like they know a little bit more about me and I think that's the goal of a lot of social media that it's not just here's the next show that I'm doing it's also like here's a here's a glimpse into my creative process or my philosophy or what I'm doing right now to give people more of a sense of um context maybe Mm -hmm. for your work um but it's also a, a line to walk because, you know, I I live a life that's fairly public, um, mm-hmm. although public in a very small subcultural way, which is right. which is nice. <laughs> um, 
Like, I can go out and nobody knows who the fuck. <laughs> have you had people stop you on the street and go, oh, Fancy Feast? I have. It's weird. It uh, doesn't of course, happen yeah. that often. And it's, like, really cool <laughs> and very weird. Um, uh, but it it hurts. Social media hurts. And, like, I am, I'm a Pisces and we're supposed to be mysterious. And people get a laugh out of, like, oh, you, you're not. You're totally not. And it's, like, because my disguise is working. Like, yeah. I, there's an amount that I'm willing to share with people, but I actually have like pretty intense boundaries about what I share from my from my private life and my sure. personal life um, that no one's going to get, and that's yeah. precious for me to hold on to. Um, and then you just read stuff on social media that makes you furious, or that's out of context, or that's people speaking from hurt, or yeah. you know, not from experience, and and it's important to take a step away like Mm -hmm. i think the quality of my life is is greater when i'm further away from social media or when i just use it as like a one like a i don't know like a like a bucket (laughs) i can just scream into sure or like that it's just it's just um input like i just put things online and then i walk away yeah Yeah, exactly well it's like i've using instagram as an audio file is difficult because yeah. it's not meant for audio but I realize taking screenshots of what I'm listening to on my phone and posting those album covers or those songs is a great way to share what I'm doing and how to interact but I've gotten to a point where I used to like crave interaction and discourse and now I just kind of throw it out in the aether and if it sticks it sticks if it doesn't great because it's 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 exhausting trying to keep up with that stuff yes. and I learned a lot more of it when Trump got elected like the reality of how much of it was an echo chamber, which, which you know, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole completely, but the fact right. that I didn't realize how much I was missing family members who voted for him that I had no idea voted for him, people that I respect and care about that I can't just write off. Yeah. And it, and it was the hardest to learn that way, that on Facebook. Like, I had someone who very much cares for me, who I believe does care for me, who is insulted when I, when I claim that he was a racist for voting for him. And be, be the discourse as it may, like, he was hurt because he respects me. Yeah. And I made a blanket statement. And I didn't, I really, it was an education in how to interact on social media. Totally. And it also taught me that I don't want to have discourse with anybody on Facebook. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, in person is way better. Conversation is way better. Because you can't gauge anything on Facebook. And it's literally just, but as you're typing one post, they may have three lined up. Like, yes. it's just, I, I, I personally feel I get exhausted by social media sometimes. It's exhausting. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I, so I have a background in media literacy. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I did a an internship at like a feminist media literacy organization where we were um, doing work like teaching teenage girls like how to read advertisements. Oh wow! Because um, it's like these are these are these things that we engage with constantly and we don't ever read them as as media. Like we right. don't break down like the the context and the messages that we get and how we get them. Um, and I did the same thing when I was doing film theory and film production that it was like. We have, I have to learn this other language. Like, we all know what movies look like, but then when you see a shot that breaks one of the rules of editing, yeah. you're like, why does that feel bad? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> so learning that and then, like, applying that broadly in my life, I've definitely applied it to porn a lot in the work that I've done as a sex educator because a lot of people are learning about sex through porn and it's like, that's one lens and what, yeah. are the, what are the issues with this lens? Like, what does it leave out? And I'm doing that now with social media as well, that it's like, 
what is the language that is specific to Facebook? How do we learn it? How yeah. do we interact with the medium? Um, and how does the medium inform what kinds of conversations are able to, to occur? Yeah. Um, and then with with Facebook, like, my answers were not satisfactory. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is just a big bummer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really nice to see pictures of all the people that I care about and to like hear from them and and some things like it's been so great for like connecting mm-hmm. um totally community members are like for getting information out really quickly but it's not where i want to have my long form discuss like i'm not a facebook performer do yeah. you know what i mean like, yeah for sure that's not the time to see me no for sure that that makes total sense I, and i feel like i'm the same way like i made a hard shift to mostly using it for promotion mm-hmm. within the last few years because and that's not even that easy anymore as they are like ripping that apart you know i have yeah. friends who are getting who whose pages are getting labeled as pornography, oh, so mine. they can't. Oh, yours is labeled yeah, as yeah, pornography. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then you can't share events, you can't promote stuff. Like mm-hmm. it, it just breaks stuff down. And that's something I don't know that I've asked another burlesque performer, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. America, comparatively to the rest of the world, comes off as fairly prudish. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's frustrating. Do you feel there's anything we can do to kind of expand that besides just growing the burlesque community? Like, is there anything, how do you, in your day-to-day, how do you go about trying to break those lenses and trying to learn more and grow as mm. far as that stuff goes? A lot of that happens in my day job, actually. Yeah. I've been I've been working on curricula for medical students because right now in U.S. med schools, um, I believe it's six hours of sex ed. That's it? In medical school. That's all that's, that's required. It? Right. That's all that's required. If you decide to go into like gynecology, obstetrics, urology, like stuff like that, you're going to get a little bit more. Um, but that's all that's required of any general doctor. And there's no like, there's very little conversation around boundaries, around how do I talk to a patient to see if they're like experiencing pleasurable sex yeah. or like if they understand like their own anatomy. Like that's just not really spoken about. Yeah. So I taught like a room full of doctors that putting lube on the inside of a condom prevents breakage and also makes it more pleasurable for the wearer. So like if somebody's experiencing like, oh, I hate condoms, they feel dry, they feel shitty, like trying lube on the inside makes a big difference. And everyone was like, oh. (laughs) Like, duh. And I was like, (laughs) y'all, like, bless, I'm so happy that you're here. You, like, this shouldn't be. Yeah, you should know this. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's like because that's we, really cool though that you get to do that. I love I love it and like I don't I'm not a know it all obviously. Yeah. Like doctors would have a thing or two to teach me. <laughs> I'm but like, sure. But th- that has definitely been one of the one of the most gratifying parts of my life is is getting to do work that changes people's ideas and attitudes about sexuality. Um, I did a, a a workshop at a conference around sexuality after cancer mm-hmm. for like several hundred can- cancer survivors. Because that's also not talked about. That it's just like, it's crazy. Well, that's insane. Know, know. How is that possible? People are so afraid to talk about sex. Like, it's just weird to me. It is. And you know what's funny is like, my I assumed that my mom wouldn't know I was having sex until I had a had a kid essentially. Right. <laughs> Even though I know she knows, but it's one of those things where it's like I'm sure she doesn't want to know. But surprisingly, when I told her that I was starting to work on burlesque, like she knew what burlesque was, and she didn't care. I mean. It was interesting to me because I I don't talk to my parents about sex. I mean, who wants to talk to their parents well. about sex? <laughs> but it's one of those things that, like, they were very open to it. And, like, even when I f- was first doing the podcast and had, like, Key to St. Cyr 
in my parents' house. That they just did it. She's a very nice girl. Is she one of those blessed performers? Yeah, oh, she's very beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Like, they were just very understanding. It was very strange to me because I found... I have a friend who I won't say his name because he's he he you know he can't talk about burlesque because his family is really against it like uh-huh. they're just really closed off to it and that's a bummer because he's a really great dude and his his girlfriend is a brilliant performer and I can't, he can't share in the experience and celebration of it to the same degree as the rest of us yeah and it's a bummer and I forget that that stuff is out there because I've been privileged to have fairly open-minded people in my life. Yeah, and same. I um, I made a decision at, at a certain point in my life that, like, I want to maintain really positive and supportive relationships with my parents. Right. And so if I'm doing things that I'm not ashamed of, then they shouldn't be ashamed of it either. So mm-hmm. I was honest about my work in sex education. I was honest about my work in burlesque. My mother's seen me perform. That's my, awesome. Which is awesome. That's really cool. My dad has boundary issues about seeing me perform, which I think is legitimate. That's but fair. he also bought me my first pair of feather fans. So it's like... He, so he wants to engage just how he's comfortable. Right, exactly. Which and makes like, total sense. Full respect for that. Um, and, and I was just like, I don't want there to be any secrets. Yeah. Like, I would like to... And like, if it's hard, we can talk about why it's hard. If it feels weird, we'll talk about... That we'll talk about how to talk to your friends about it. Like I want to do that kind of like lesson planning with everybody. Sure. But I don't want to be secretive. And sure. The only thing that they were really down about was my tattoos. <laughs> Everything. Else. Which of all the things, it's like <laughs> how Jewish is that? Yeah, that is pretty Jewish. Well, that's like with my, with my parents. I never dyed my hair. I'm thinking about dyeing my hair now. But when I was mm. in high school, I had long, shoulder length, thick black hair, and I wanted to dye my hair so badly. So I had a friend of mine dye just the front bangs of my hair, nice. so I could pull it back and put it under a hat, and my parents would never know. <laughs> we're sitting at dinner, we're sitting at the table having dinner one night, and like I have the hat on, but I guess a little bit of the hair is hanging out and my mom goes oh by the way Matt um, I like the red it looks good on you and I nearly fell backwards out of my chair oh my God. like I thought I was pulling one over on her and she must have known for weeks well it's like we think we're so cool and that our parents like have never experienced any Anything, kind of rebellion yeah. right exactly and it's like we think we're so smart you know it's like my I used to paint my nail like a good goth kid I painted my nails black in high school yep. um, I wore a lot of black my t-shirt like it looked like a, my t-shirt collection looked like out of a cartoon like all black uh-huh. t-shirts and then all black jeans but um, I would paint my nails black and my dad asked me you know do the kids make fun of you and I said yeah some of them he's like does it bother you I said not really he's like okay then good then I don't care yeah like like I always thought it was going to be a big deal and he's like as long as you don't care I don't care which is really nice to grow up with I think it's why I'm as sane as I can be at least you know is because of that kind of an upbringing yes do you feel like stuff like that in your childhood helped you become this person that you are today and especially in like burlesque and sex ed Absolutely. Um, my parents were very clear that I had a say in things mm-hmm. and that I didn't get the final say in most things, <laughs> which, is, of course. which is fair. But like, I have memories of being three or four years old and picking my carpet color for my room. Oh, like, cool. Once I had moved out of the communal bed that we all slept <laughs> in, my childhood. Um, and so like, I was taught that my opinions mattered and that I got to... I had I had autonomy, like that I was a person and I could have opinions and I could say what those opinions were. And then the management would discuss it, you know, and I would get notes signed from the management. Um, but that was feeling feeling that was really valuable. And then also my mother has stated, you know, now that um, she so she grew up uh, in Romania um, and escaped during the Ceausescu regime. Oh, wow. And 
was taught like a lot of a lot of things about like making herself smaller and being mm-hmm. meek and being apologetic um, as a survival tactic. Sure, of course. And and that's something that she's that she was very clear that she did not want to impress upon me. So like engendering confidence and um, and resilience and all of that within me mm-hmm. was like a goal of hers. And then she got me. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Like <laughs> then she was like, oh, wait a minute. She's like, put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah, this is too much. Um, so so yeah. So I was like a hellion. Like I was a real mm-hmm. asshole in my teen years. Um, because I was testing a lot of those boundaries. Sure. Um, but it was absolutely part of my upbringing to, like, to trust my own judgment about yeah. things. And to, like, they were like, we, we're not going to give you a curfew. You know you have school tomorrow. Be thoughtful about what time you want to get home. Yeah. You know? Okay. <laughs> well. Kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then I would fuck up horribly and come back reeking of cigarettes. And I'd have, you know, X's on my hands because I went to a punk show. <laughs> um, and feel like shit the next day. And then they'd be like, cool. So do you want to do that on weekends or weekdays? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. You know, learning, learning the hard way. Yeah. Um, that's really actually really awesome. Um, well, it's funny that you talk about instilling confidence in you because I, like I've seen, I've been seeing you perform for years, but I don't think I had a conversation with you till that podcast show. Mm-hmm. And I, every time I would ever see you on stage, like I remember you hosting, um, the after party for, uh, f- uh I believe it was for Nikita's wedding, wasn't it? I'm trying to remember now, or maybe, I'm, no, it was Alex and Ivory's yeah, wedding. Yeah, Alex and Ivory's. I'm like... I'm, am I screwing? Sorry, I'm mixing up burlesque cu- couples. The four of you can come after me later. Um, so many people got married that year, including myself. I can't keep it all straight. But anyway, um, I remember seeing you host that after party. I was like, wow, she's so awesome and so confident. Like, it was one of those things where I was afraid to talk to you at that event because huh. of the confidence you instilled. And I'm I'm just happened to be shy. This may come as a shock, but, but as a nerd, I'm typically pretty shy and, and introverted. <laughs> I know, right? That was something that was interesting to learn with burlesque is that a lot of burlesque performers are actually introverts. Yes. Like, I didn't know that. Like, I, I would see Elvillain Vinyl perform, and I'd be like, this badass woman, she's, like, so confident and so aggressive. She was so timid and, and, and um, you know, introverted when we first – and we got to know each other, and we're very good friends now. But it was one of those things where the personality on stage was completely different to the personality behind the scenes, and I had no clue. Like, I was still learning. And it, it shocks me how many – nerdy, introverted, you know, um, dorky people are, mm. you know, in the dressing rooms at a burlesque show. Yeah, I would say mostly, mostly those mostly, folks. Yeah. Mostly those folks, yeah. Not not a lot of jocks and um, um, uh, cheerleaders, I suppose, in, in burlesque dressing rooms, although there must be somewhere. Or like jocks who are shy nerds, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm, I think of myself as an ambivert um, <laughs> because I do, a lot of, I do a lot of talking on stage and that feels really comfortable for me. And like socializing also feels comfortable for me, but I have a real short, not, what, what's the, what's not a fuse? Uh, I have like, I have a limited capacity for it yeah. so that I feel myself tapping out sometimes. And especially at like the big events mm-hmm. um, and like festivals and things like that, I get completely overwhelmed and I just want to sit in a corner and I worry that that comes across as like rude, yeah. but it's, but it's usually just like, I, I'm full. I can't, yeah. I can't, um, yeah, I'm. I feel like I'm the same way. Like I'm an extrovert to a point. Yeah. Like um, I think that the the time I experience the most is uh, my wife, amongst being an actor and a musician, was used to work at the New York Renaissance Fair, and hadn't been in a long time. Hell yeah. And so, and I used to go every summer when I was a little younger. And so we want we went 
I think it was last year, and um, or maybe it was the year before. I can't remember. Well, the last time we went, like I was good for a good chunk of the day. I was having fun. I was interacting with people. I was we were seeing shows, and then at like three o'clock maybe or two o'clock, I hit this wall where I was cranky. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to stand still, and I had to look at her and go. I'm really cranky. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to ruin everyone's fun, but I need to be like this. Yeah. And like, and she understood and it was fine, but it was like, I just, sometimes I hit this wall where it's just, there's no going nope. back. You're, you're done until you can kind of recharge. Yes. And I think the stage offers a safe way to, uh, there's that word again. It, well, it offers, it offers like a way to be expressive mm-hmm. and a way to get across like your point and, a way to share something with the audience, too. Like, it's not just a one-sided, like, this is what I need to get out. But, like, yeah. it's, it's an opportunity to connect. And then and then not. Yeah. You know? And then escape and go backstage and know that you, you have a space to kind of be by yourself. Yeah. Um, or with other people who really speak your language. Yeah. Um, and and I think any, any kind of hobby that is going to... Or career path, because depending on how, how people approach burlesque... Um, something that requires so much time and so much thinking and so much research um, that that's going to draw nerds and yeah. people who are obsessive. Because um, most burlesque happens when you're alone. Yeah. Like, it's a very limited time that it actually happens in front of an audience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I, I mentioned earlier that I hosted my first show with a co-host recently mm. in front of, like, a full actual audience. Yeah. And I'm someone who suffered from stage fright for a long time. Mm. Like, I tried to sing a duet me and my wife tried to sing the Rainbow Connection at the way station. It's literally the tiny oh. crowd filled with my friends and it got to the Kermit verse and I froze completely. I couldn't do it. And it was really frustrating because we'd practice and I thought I could do it. But it turns out I need some kind of control on stage and something I feel confident about. And hosting the show, I'm confident about being an ass. Like, I'm confident about joking around and being goofy. Uh And I never really understood the drug of interacting with an audience until I actually got on the right side of it where I felt confident. Yeah. And there were moments where, like, I would interact with this audience and I'd get a big laugh and then, like, there would be a big reaction. And then, Uh, and it's, yeah, and it's like. Yes. (laughs) I got off stage and I was like, oh, that's what this is about. Mm, Yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, but it was really interesting because I always had crippling, crippling stage fright. But I think it's also the more I perform with friends and people that I trust, they bring friends and people they trust. Mm. And so I think that energy transfers. Totally. To a, to a degree. And I think that's what's been really fascinating. It's why I never realistically say I will never, ever perform burlesque because I think anything's possible. And I definitely know I like to dance and I like to sing and I like music and I have ideas in my head. And, yeah. But it's one of those things where I definitely feel more comfortable on a stage now when I'm in a certain kind of control and confidence. Mm-hmm. Like doing podcasts. It's something, talking to strangers was always really hard for me for a long time. And mm-hmm. now I bring people in weekly that I either sort of know, really know, or don't know at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and like the first time I hosted a live event at the Way Station, it was a, an album release for an artist I really liked. Mm-hmm. And I could talk at length because it was about music, which I'm confident about. And I think it's interesting how the brain translates that stuff. Yeah. And how you can convince yourself that 
you're not good at X, Y, or Z, even though it's not true. Yes. And like all these years, like I never sang in public and I never performed in public because I was told by someone who was not kind to me that I can't sing and that I can't dance. And it really screws you up. And it's hard to deprogram that. Yes. We, we learn to accept other people's assessments of ourselves in that way. Like they're seeing you, so they must understand. Right. They it's, must know. It's even worse when it's someone who says they love you. Like, you know, mm. it's, it's a shitty thing and it sucks, but I, I, uh, I was a big fan of the rock band games when they came out because I was a music nerd and I loved playing those games and I would sing on them all the time and I had a ex of now ex of mine tell me often you know I don't really like it when you sing because you're not very good at it could you do one of the other instruments instead and it's uh, like also like this isn't about being, being good. good yeah that's it's like karaoke we, yeah why are we why are we playing rock band yeah and so that and that screwed me up for a long time mm. and like I thought I couldn't sing and then I you know I met my wife who convinced me I could sing I was just singing in the wrong register I have a deep voice so when I sing in a deep voice right that's easier for me than when I sing in a higher voice sure but I grew up listening to 90s alternative rock and so like I wanted to be like Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20 and sing really high yeah not a thing I can do yeah, I mean, we we have stories that we tell about ourselves and, like, thresholds that we create. And mm-hmm. I think it's an important part of adulthood to ask, like, is that something that is intrinsic to me or is that something that was a learned behavior? Um, and I say that because, like, I I powerlift now. And oh, that's, awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. cool. Awesome. And I've been doing it for a year and a half, and it's not something that I ever thought I would do because my story about myself was that I would never be strong. And I was so convinced by this story, and other people had told me similar things. I was right. never going to be an athlete, like all that. And I believed it until I just started doing it. And yeah. I was like, wait a minute. This is one of those things where you just do it, and you do it a lot, and mm-hmm. you get better at it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it turns out you the fake it till you make it line is is really true. Yeah. It's it's just like I started DJing burlesque because I was doing the door for a few Was Bosco shows and mm-hmm. Nasty Canasta was like, Hey, we have a guy who does sound, but do you wanna come learn how to do it? And I was like, sure okay because I've been obsessed with music since I was a little kid yeah and then like I started running sound for just a few of their shows and then I met other producers and now like I think it's this month I have eight different shows I'm DJing what I know yeah (laughs) including all of the Nerdless Festival at the end of the at the end of the month and it's like you know it's one of those things that like I never thought I could make money out of DJing. I'm like, this weekend I'm DJing a private party. In July I'm DJing my first wedding. Well, technically my second wedding. I DJed Stella Chu's wedding for free because of all the nonsense her and Jeff went through. Yeah, oh my god. And so like, I I was like, I can play, I can push buttons for free. It's fine. Like, you don't have to pay somebody to do that. Yeah. But like, this is my first paid gig. And that was interesting. Learning the business of performing within... Uh, within a burlesque community versus the private sector and doing private events. Like, Mm. the fact that I'm charging for a wedding and I probably undercharged whatever DJs actually charge for a wedding. And Even it's though like, I'm sure it was like way more than burlesque is oh, going yeah. to pay you. Like I, I'll, make, I'll make more from that one gig than I will for like probably nine months of burlesque. But that's because yep. it's, just, it's just a different market. It's, yes. And it was astonishing to me. And it's like, I remember writing my first invoice for DJing an art gallery opening. And it was mm. like, 
I have to make an invoice? What's, how do I make an invoice? Like, <laughs> I just wait for the envelope full of cash to show up. Right. Isn't that how that works? You know? And it's just, it's really, it's really cool that I feel like I've learned so much from burlesque. And it's what I want to continue to do is DJ in burlesque. Yeah. And I think it's interesting also because I don't know a lot of people who market themselves as DJs in burlesque. Like, I know some performers do. Like, Kita DJs is a bunch, DJs a bunch of shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lou Alfred Douglas does. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but I, I, I find that, like, I thought... Everyone must do this. And then, like, the more I talk to the performers, it's like, no, you're kind of pioneering. Like, you're a burlesque DJ. It's what you do. Yeah. But you're bleeding over into other stuff. But, like, that's what you want to market yourself as. So go for it. But I never never thought, I've got a plan. I'll do all this stuff. It's literally, I jump from thing to thing flailing until I think I've got it. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I think burlesque DJing is so different from other kinds of DJing because you need to understand the sort of, the rules of burlesque like you yeah. need to understand like what what a performer needs out of their music and yeah. what, a sh- what how a show benefits from certain kinds of music and that's like that's very very different from just like i have a cool record collection and like yeah. here is my nightlife event sure um so i think it's a really specific skill and like once you know that language it's like yeah it's very communicable yeah well and also like uh, thankfully uh, was Bosco and a few other shows like anya's podcast show have allowed me to create custom playlists based on whatever the theme is my favorite which is amazing like the, the, the my favorite thing about the podcast show is it was all songs to be featured on my album review podcast like mm. those are all songs of bands that we had reviewed over the four years we've been doing it and that was a lot of fun because Anya's like yeah you know good music go do you know yeah or like I you know I do I DJ the redhead show that Wasabasco does and so I put together a ton of punk rock and Irish rock and all this stuff yeah and it's it's a language I've always spoke like I I used to make mixtapes like everybody else oh yeah Oh, <laughs> so High Fidelity was like one of yes. Ugh. I was I read it cover to cover. I watched the movie a million times, and then I went to a summer playwriting workshop for teens. Nice. We're like we all got to teach electives, and mine was on the art of the mixtape. So I like broke it down. I, I like had it. examples. We all like made our own cover art. Fucking oh, nerdo. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's all I do. Like. Ugh. And this is not embarrassing, but like I've I've sent my wife playlists going, you know, with titles to do with love, and it's a bunch of love songs or songs about sex or whatever it is. Yeah, songs to listen to in the rain was a big playlist. Oh uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and and so like, but that's a thing that I never thought I could market or or make a job out of, and I am yeah. now, and that's really a lot of fun. You know, I love being able to speak through music, and I think when you find an art that you can kind of express yourself through, you can do so much with it because some of the playlists are personal like I make them just for me because they express what I need to feel in that moment or whatever Um, going back to your burlesque is there I imagine you've done many acts that are very personal to you but have has there been any act that you've created to get through something like you were experiencing something in your life and you created an act to help you process and move through it yes I think probably most of my acts are that way in one way or another that it's like there's there's an impulse that like starts to eat away at the inside of me until it finds its way on stage but in terms of like something that is very clearly like here is here is a thing that's going on like I need to I need to talk about it um I do an act that doesn't get booked very often because it's not, again, not a crowd pleaser (laughs) um but that's all about my my experience of uh uh sexual violence that happened to me when I was at film school 
and um, it, it the whole thing is like just me trying to get through my act because mm-hmm. that was like also how I dealt with um, like the aftermath of my abuse was like I want to just get through film school I want to make mm. my work um, so it's like me getting through a burlesque act while I have like a sling on my arm and a big like bruised Bruce. black eye so it's like with one arm I'm not able to do the striptease as adeptly uh. and so I want to pl- I want to play like I want to show that discomfort and I want to show me missing my cue you know so the the act goes on and like ends and I haven't taken off my bra yet and I I take off my bra in like total silence um and it's like slow and terrible oh. um and it's it's personal it's upsetting it's yeah. not something like I said it's something that really like you need the right audience and the right show sure. to book that that kind of number um but that was something that like was very active like I was like I need to talk about this but I don't want to do it in a way that is didactic or right. in a way that is like I want to use the word pornographic like right. a way that sort of is like look at my suffering yeah but a way that sort of abstracts the concept to to image and that enables people to take from it what they will yeah um and it it is generally effective i mean after afterwards fortunately unfortunately um people come up to me and talk to me about their own experiences of like abuse and violence um like they know exactly what the act is about i don't have to say it um but that was something where like i was like oh i want to give this the long think before i ever bring this to a certain stage sure of course well i think it's something that because it's so personal to you and because you know people will connect and will experience their own feelings again and go through those go through all of that all over again yeah. seeing that happen you know it's important to, to you know use your powers for good i guess is a way to put it or just you know i think any form of art that helps others heal and helps you heal is huge yes and i think that burlesque definitely has the capacity to do that i've seen saw essence revealed uh do a black lives matter act i love that act oh my god and like <laughs> at the, i told her she did it what show was i djing that she did that at? i think it was um I want to say it was TZ Roosevelt's show. Yeah, the, it was like yes. a, an America yep. themed show. Yeah. And I DJed that, and it was the last act. It was the closer. Fuck yes. And, like, afterwards, I just went up to her and I said, I, like, like I know, but I I don't know, and thank you. Like, it's just so powerful, and I it made me so upset, which is the point. And yes. it just, and, like, again, white straight presenting dude, like, I'm upset, and I can only imagine what everyone else is going through. And it's like it's just so powerful. Yes. And I love that stuff. Like I'm, I don't know if you're a crier, but I'm a crier. Like as far as it depends on how emotional the thing is, but like mm. uh, if it's the right kind of music or the right movie, I'm not afraid to let that kind of thing out. And so when I see really good art, I tear up. I cry about art. I don't tend to yeah. cry about like whack shit in my life. <laughs> oh, for sure I'm not. PMSing, but <laughs> but yeah, I. I think, and I think there's a line to walk as somebody who I like that kind of stuff. I want to yeah. see that kind of stuff, but I also want to acknowledge that not everybody does, and that's not what everybody like. What everybody's so, goal is in Berlin, you know? Sure. Some so, people want to escape. Exactly, and they deserve that. I think, yeah. like, especially Absolutely. like given how garbage everything is, like, yeah. offering people a break from reality is also a duty yeah. as a performer. So, 
it's it's important to have both and it's important i think to be clear about the expectations of your space and to not be like this is a super lovey fun time girly show and then <laughs> to have like a bunch of really intense yeah sad political acts or the vice versa to be like yeah. we're really saying something <laughs> and then have like frivolous like over the top like bubbly acts yeah. right like it's all it's all good i just think it's important to not mislead an audience about what they're going to get yeah do you find you struggle with that kind of stuff as a producer do you do you have trouble curating what your audience wants or do you think you really kind of understand the audience that you're working with at, at, at a bazaar uh it's like my favorite thing to do is, is, to, is to yeah is to curate and i think like over the months um the audience has has figured us out and so they're opting in to see the kind of show that they would see right um the shows that i produce at coney island are a little bit different i mean yeah. i i i did a show called the unbookables um one summer oh, yes um which was that. acts that would nobody would want for one reason or another <laughs> yeah, yeah. um i did mame that tune i'm doing mame that tune again uh, this summer. Man, that's such a brilliant idea mame that tune is such a brilliant idea thank you well it's like i I remember in art class in high school, we were all doing color theory paintings, and everybody's used red, blue, and yellow. And I was like, how do I do different? So I did all shades of brown, and it looked like <laughs> shit. Like, it looked like <laughs> shit. But it was, you know, I played with my shading and stuff, yeah. and it, like, followed color theory. Um, and it was, like, the only just, like, brown painting among all these other ones. And, and the teacher was like, that's good thinking. So I think, like, as the producer, I have to ask the question, like, what needs to be done that's not being done? Mm -hmm. And Mame That Tune is definitely one of those, like, I think people really like bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Bad stuff from really good performers. Like, people who are going to be entertaining. Right. Do so, for the audience, explain oh, yeah. what Mame That Tune is. Okay, so Mame That Tune is a show that I uh, created and I've produced at Coney Island for the past two years. And I'm doing so this August, August 12th. Awesome. Um, and it's all performers stripping to their personal least favorite songs. And that works as a sort of long-form performance art because those performers have to listen to that song over and over <laughs> and over and over again uh -huh. as they are generating their acts. Um, and then it's just sort of like a treat for the audience because we get to sort of collectively sit together and like groan <laughs> yeah. and be like, oh, that song, I fucking hate that song. Um and and some lasting acts have come out of that too. Which That's is like great. That's amazing. Unbelievable. I was like, thank you. Like, thank you for and and asking performers to do a new act. I know is also like a challenge because it's money and it's yeah. time. It's like a real commitment. So the performers who opt into doing it, I have like so much respect for their willingness and ability to like do something dumb and to invest in it and to to be compelling. It's yeah, amazing. sure. Yeah. And so you've done, I imagine you perform in the show as well. And yes. so you've done it for two years. So what are the two songs that you perform to? Well, okay. So that act about like world peace uh -huh. actually came out of me. Oh, that nice. That's awesome. Um, and then the other one was an act to elevation by U2, which I, I hate. <laughs> it's such I a hate. terrible song. It's such like, a terrible song. It's like, and I've liked U2. You yeah. Know, I, there was an era of U2 that like meant a lot to me. Me um, too. And that song is just like the worst oh. of what they could come up with yeah. it's like a computer made a u2 song and then like put in a bunch of like information about moles right so <laughs> i couldn't fucking believe it so i had i gave everybody in the audience um like i, I had 
them pass out lyric sheets because uh-huh. I wanted them to sing it because I was like, you may not know how bad the song is until you see the lyrics. Yeah. Singing. So they were singing it as I was stripping. And every time they mentioned moles, I had an air horn. <laughs> Just to really, like... Hone it in. Yeah, drill the point home. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah, I think if I had to pick a song... It's funny, I have a love-hate relationship with my least favorite song of all time, but do you remember Mm-hmm by the Crash So I would definitely use that song, because also in karaoke, it's my party trick, because my voice is so deep. You can it's like, once there was a boy who... What? Yeah, so, so I would totally just strip and sing that song. Oh. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, right? Clawing at the table. You have to do this show. Um, um, and then my favorite is that Zoe Zigfield go goes to my playlist. Like, that's of, the show. Of, of, wait, is it the same playlist we were talking about before of acts that never, like, songs you can't get into acts? Or is this just no, your worst song? My least favorite songs. So it's just a full playlist of your least favorite songs. Yes. That's so a, it's like, that's great. She's dancing to Red Solo Cup by Toby Keith. Oh. She's dancing to. You know, the 1877 Cars for Kids. You know, like, it's like, just whatever I can think to stump her because she's such a prolific go go dancer. Oh, she's really great. Yeah, she's a very talented dancer. So that, that's like, amazing. Like, for her to just look at you and be like, really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'll, I'll have to make it this year. That's really, really great. But I think that kind those kinds of challenges are really important to an art form, too. Like, it's very easy for, for anyone to kind of settle into, well, I can just do this mm. thing for the rest of my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But no. but for sure, I think creating challenges like uh, I DJ'd uh, Velvet Kensington's George Michael show yeah. recently, and she challenged Anya Keister to do a sexy act to Careless Whisper, which she shared with the audience, which Whoa. was amazing, Whoa. like amazing, like every like everyone's jaws were on the floor, like it was just great. But like those kinds of things, it's like. I think it's a really great attitude to be like, all right, fine, challenge me, I'm going to do it. And like, it must be, it feels so powerful after it works too. And even if it doesn't, you did it, you yes. know? And, and, and the audience is with you. Yeah, because absolutely. The, we're all sharing this kind of experience. No, yeah, I think that's also my favorite thing about the burlesque community on the whole, when it's at its, its best, is it's people who are on the ride with you. So if something goes wrong, they're they're in it. They don't care. Like, they're with you. And I think that's really great about any indie or really close community. Mm. Um, I think that that's the kind of thing that we're losing a lot of because of the internet. Because anyone can find anyone on the internet, which can be good, but it also means people are out less. People are not experiencing life as much. Like, they're staying home. Like, I like video games as much as the next guy, but going to a live show is still, like... I love doing it. And I don't do it enough now that I DJ so much. It's like, you know, you work two shows in a weekend or or three shows in a weekend. It's like, oh, and then I want to go see a show too. Nope. No. No, it's it's hard to do that when you're like when you go out and have fun for your job. Yeah. Then like being persuaded to go out and have fun for free is a really tough sell. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. It's like like um yeah, and, and also the really late shows, like if you're working a day job and it's like I want to engage in the community more and I have to go see more shows. That's why I want to see the fuck you review. It's like yeah. I find that all these shows that I'm not working, I want to go see because I'd want to be an audience member too. Mm. Like I can't remember the last show I was an audience member at, but I remember sitting there being like, oh, this is different. I'm not doing anything. Of course, then it's hard to not do anything. Yes. Like, like I'm that guy that if I'm at a, an event and the DJ is not paying attention or is not like, like, yeah, like it, it's torturous to me to not work when I'm in an environment that I'm normally working. Totally. But it helps. I mean, it's it's both because I, I walk into a room and I like 
don't get my choice of seats or like I, I'm not backstage where you have a better like vantage point so I'm like who are all these plebeians <laughs> <laughs> like who like don't you know who I am like total garbage thoughts of like I don't belong in this audience yeah. um, and then being like oh fuck I realized that I started in burlesque because I love burlesque I love watching it mm-hmm. and I like really did start as a fan and I tried to just watch a lot and learn a lot um, and it's like I never want to forget that part of me that needs to be a fan of the art form as well yeah. um, so like sitting in an audience and just getting to watch the show is such a distinct pleasure Yeah. Um, and it's something that I'd like to do more of yeah. yeah I think it's just hard when you're performing in that space you know it's like you're so exhausted and it's like who wants to go out to see a show after they've just done a show yes um, uh, we're getting close to the end but before I wrap up I wanted to ask I like asking cheesy like advice questions oh at the God. end because I think it's I think it really is important to share in the arts uh, relatable skills, ideas, and and perspectives that like it might even apply to people who aren't even in burlesque. When you when you started out doing art, doing burlesque, and doing whatever any kind of art, what was something that you wish you knew to help? maybe someone else who's just getting started like what what information do you wish you had that you didn't that you think would make it easier for someone else to get started it's that critique is a necessary part of the process and it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong or bad and that building relationships where you can both give and receive critique is a blessing and mm-hmm. it will only make you better Um, that's something that I was not comfortable with at first because I was like, but this is my self-expression and is therefore perfect. (laughs) And someone's like, if you waited to take your glove off at this point, it would have this impact instead of what you did. And then I was like, okay, (laughs) yes, you are totally right. And so after being like butthurt about it for a little bit, once you start like being able to accept that critique and, and incorporate it or like, or go like, no, and here is why. Like, being yeah. able to defend your choices and yeah. think about your choices um, makes us better performers. Um, and I think we're in a community, industry, whatever word we're using for the group of the people who do the thing, um, that we are we are so focused on, like, maintaining a positive space, which yeah. is valuable and is, like, runs counter to a lot of the world, which is, like, not positive about us and not positive about what we do. Um, that we are then afraid to hear anything to the contrary, which might, in fact, like help hone our skills yeah. in the art form. So that was something that I really, I really needed, would have liked to have, have learned sooner. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Fancy Feast. This has been amazing. This is so much fun. Um, uh, where can people find you on the internet? So fancyfeastburlesque.com is my website. You can find me on the Facebook that I scream into. <laughs> um, Fancy Feast Burlesque is also my Instagram handle. If you just want to look at pictures, that's great. And then my show, The Fuck You Review, is every third Tuesday of the month at Bizarre Bushwick. Awesome. Um, this has been a pleasure and an honor. I'm a huge fan, and I appreciate you taking the time. Um, the last thing I'll ask you to do is we have a saying on both podcasts that I came up with when I was a dumb teenager that has stuck, and it's music is life and life is good. I would love for you to sign us off with that. Oh, my God. I love that. Okay, well, music is life and life is good. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. 
If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.